Live, Episode 8, Blanket, is over. But we are just getting started here on Hosho Recap. Hello, everybody. Mike Bloom here, and there is only one of me, luckily enough, here to talk about the anti-penultimate episode of Fargo Season 5, where finally, Roy comes face-to-face with Nadine and... The results are both surprising and unsurprising at the same time. We dig a Danish grave, four Danish graves, and there's plenty to get into as we start winding into truly the third act climax of this spectacular season. And I'm here with two spectacular individuals to break down this episode, and they are both so smart because they are so not dead. They're here talking with me today. First off is Grace Leader. Grace, how are you? I'm doing good. Do you want to just mimic everything you say? You can wear a cowboy hat just like you're wearing. I mean, listen, I already have someone I mean, listen, in-house, a four-year-old that does it all the time. four-year-old that does it all the time. People are going to think that there's a sound are problem think on their now. podcast of choice. <laughs> okay, true. I'll cut, I'll cut it out. Okay. <laughs> no, no, please keep it in. Uh, Latanya Starks, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm not changing my name. Mm. You can't make me. And I'm not going to wear one of those stupid hats. If Dave Foley approached you and asked you to change your name, what percentage of you would say yes? Maybe five, just because it's Dave Foley. If it's Dave Foley in the Danish graves, like, you know, he's got the eye patch, maybe 10 to 15%. And also you have to be incredibly in debt as well, (laughs) it seems like. Yeah, you have to check out the coffers and see if they're bare. Yeah, you have to be in, like, Bob Cratchit's ledger, it seems, (laughs) considering that for some reason, despite the empire that Lorraine has mustered, she has gone completely offline when it comes to the actual Black Book of debtors. In the Midwest, we really care a lot about paper records. So in addition to all of the digital ones, we happen to keep giant books of paper records as well. What are you going to do? Well... Let, let's get into talking about Blanket, because I feel kind of bad. Uh, I came on here last week lauding so much praise onto Linda for engaging in this very fantastical element, finally getting some backstory on Dot, and in particular her feelings towards Roy. But I feel like Linda is the Indira coming back home and opening up the closet and finding the new hotness in my life, which is Blanket. Because I have to say this is now my favorite episode of the season. I mean, good lord. I say a lot about how oftentimes whatever we imagine, you know, enigmatic, suspected things to be in these types of shows oftentimes don't live up to the reality. This is one of those rare exceptions where we had a lot of questions as to what the relationship between Dot and Roy was both when they were living together and not. And despite getting a bit of a perspective into it last week, it certainly was exceeded by many degrees in actually watching the two of them interact in this episode. And we have spent a lot of time on this podcast, lauding a lot of praise, deservedly so, onto these performers. But I think it's time we give John Hamm his flowers. Uh, and granted, I think Roy Tillman would look at those flowers and be like, why would you give me this? I need sod. A man needs dirt to dig in. <laughs> but he was absolutely haunting in this episode. We will get into several scenes, several moments. But I feel like much like last week was finally our bird's eye view into Dot. This was our bird's eye view into Roy and everything that makes him up and how he reacts when his world is truly crumbling around him. This was a sensational 
albeit uncomfortable episode of television, but one that I'm so excited to get into. LT, what about you? What do you think about this episode? I thought this episode was very good. I don't know if it totally surpassed Linda for me, just because there was something so um, poignant about last week's episode. And I, I'm one of the rare people who like watches a lot of TV who really loves dream episodes or, or like the reveal of it was all a dream. Uh, so, but I really thought this episode was absolutely fantastic. We got to see a lot of the characters interact with uh, Dot in a way that, you know, that expose parts of them that we haven't necessarily seen before, which I think is the best way to get characters together that haven't necessarily been together for an entire season of television. And there are just some really like standout moments that happened. There were a lot of physical things that happened in this episode that you can only imagine the actors had to put in tons of work to make, to accomplish. So yeah, I thought that this was a great showcase for everyone involved. Yeah, I think that for me, this episode feels, you know, it's ironic coming after the the puppet episode um, that we like know first that the puppets aren't real, but then that the whole thing is sort of a facade. This one feels real, like we're ramping yeah. up uh, to to the end game here. And I think, you know, the show starts off with Dot being try, trying to be kidnapped and, and fighting them off. A literal home invasion is, is the first basically like, you know, episode of the show. And yet somehow I think because of Roy's continual failures and the failure, failure of all the people around him. Um, I keep going back to that scene where Indira and dot are talking about why men abuse women mm -hmm. and their wives. It says they don't do it when they're strong. They do it when they're weak. And Roy is the weakest he's ever been. And he reacts in pretty awful ways uh, to both Dot this episode, um, and then and then also to to uh, to obviously to Danish Graves. Um, so I yeah I, I there's something I just really loved about last week's episode um, that also you know I talk all the time. We were talking recently. Uh, Mike about like my my top rated uh, letterbox category was yes. like tragically sad or something that <laughs> was like my you know but I often think that like I, I obviously don't just watch sad things to be sad I watch it because I I like that there's something that really resonates to me about in the darkest moments you can find like light and hope and people in this episode that's clearly in regards to sort of uh dots love of of wayne and scotty um and so yeah there is some lightness in, in it but it's like mostly really dark i kind of love the fantastical element of last week's um last week's uh, uh episode um in a way that i thought was like incredible um this one um i think was like very very good and it sort of puts us back in reality obviously to like where we're going in the end game yeah well not to mention obviously the subject matter is arguably the most realistic it has ever been uh fargo is usually a very heavy show but i feel like there's a different sort of gravity to this season in that it is dealing with something like domestic abuse you know a plague that is fortunately afflicted so many people and will continue to do so and before we get any further you know the show was able to do its due diligence this week and give a placard before the episode started uh giving a bit of a disclaimer about the fact that the episode would get into domestic violence as well as giving some resources about it as well and we have decided 
on post-show recaps to follow suit. Obviously, content warning about domestic abuse, both emotional, physical, etc. If for very valid reasons you do not want to engage with this podcast because we're going to delve so much into the material, totally understandable. Feel free to tune out. But also, uh, if you or others that you know are dealing with, again, this unfortunate but very real issue in your everyday lives, just know that you are not alone. If you or someone you know is experiencing relationship abuse in any form, help is available. The National Domestic Violence Hotline provides free, confidential support and resources 24-7, 365 days a year. Support is a call or chat away at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. You can also dial 1-800-3224, or you can chat online at thehotline.org. That being said, let's start getting into this episode with a quick plot recap of Blanket. Following her stay in the hospital, Dot is taken to the Tillman Ranch and chained to the floor in a barn. While Whitfar sees her with Roy, she refuses to say she's kidnapped so the deputy can't help. Roy heads out for the sheriff's debate while Wit heads out to the ranch. And he's refused entry by his seemingly perennial enemy in Gator. Speaking of Gator, Dot has a conversation with her like stepson slash kind of brother that she saw his mother referring to the events of last episode, though he refuses to believe her. She asked for his help, saying that they can leave this place together, but he's fully in his father's grasp. Dot tries one last maneuver, asking about why Gator isn't named after Roy, becoming Roy Tillman V. Of course, there's a long tradition of Roy Tillman's sons, but Gator isn't one of them. Gator storms out, uh, reacting poorly, ignoring Dot's pleas, but he may be the one pleading for help soon, as Old Munch is in the backseat of his police car. Meanwhile, at the debate, Danish hires three men to change their names to Roy Tillman and participate in the debate alongside them. Roy can't handle the laughter as the other three Roys, cowboy hats and all, impersonate his every word. As chaos unfurls around him, the moderator tries to track him down, and Roy turns to her and hits her. His chances of being sheriff are all but squandered. Meanwhile, Indira returns home from a long day at work to find Lars is cheating on her. In response, she kicks him out of the house. Wit also lets Indira know that Dot is at the ranch, but she knows she can't go it alone. She ends up heading to the Lion Estate, deciding that she needs to put her own mask on first to both take Lorraine's job offer and let her know what's happening. Meanwhile, at a random gas station, Wit runs into Danish and tells him that Dot is at the ranch and that, as her lawyer, he should act quickly. Meanwhile, an irate Roy returns home and takes out his humiliation on Dot. Danish arrives at the ranch to offer Roy the sheriff election in exchange for the return of his client's daughter-in-law. Roy refuses, killing Danish instead. Shacked up in the barn once more, Dot smashes the window and shouts for help, but all she can do is watch on hopelessly as she sees Roy's goons bring out the body of Danish Graves and throw him into a pit containing certainly not the first, but the last bodies. And that is Blanket. So I think there's very little sort of subsidiary information uh, besides the main plot happening in North Dakota 
in this episode. We can obviously touch upon the Indira stuff in a little bit. So I think it makes a lot of sense to kind of go almost like character by character through what we saw from them in North Dakota. And I do want to start with Roy here, because again, as I mentioned this week, I think gave us by far the most perspective into who Roy Tillman is truly as a person. Look no further than that absolutely fantastic one take tracking shot set to Britney Spears toxic, which is a ridiculous sentence to say, but, but grace between like the way the cover was thrown out there, the actual lyrics and John Hamm's ever changing visage as he's just taking that long walk to take out all of his feelings on Nadine. I was just so stunned by it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's so, it's so long. Like it lingers for so long, Um, which I think, partially is to set up later when like dot's going to smash the window and look out. She realized like she's so far from her. She's not close. Um, so it kind of is dual purpose, but to just linger on him and this man who seemingly at this point has lost like, you know, everything he's about, he's a, he knows, right. The FBI has come to visit him and he basically knows he's really only protected because he, you know, he has a militia, and um, or sorry, he's the he's the sheriff. He does he has have a tank, though. As well. He does have a tank. Um, and so the the fact that this has just been so humiliating, it's not just that he's going to lose, but it's been this public embarrassment. And then to like hit the moderator, um, it's like, yeah, there's, it, you know, Stan's going to tell me this, this was like really bad. You might think you might be able to like resolve some of this. Like, there's no way this is it's all gone. We could fix it for you. Um, and so his anger as he's walking, um, towards, and I, I, the way that he has so much control and power over everyone in his life. And it's why he gets so frustrated with Dodds because she's like the only person who like vocalizes critique. Like I actually thought one of the people we get actually maybe as much, not as much insight, but, but more insight than we've ever got is his wife, Karen, who is there when Dot is brought into the barn and, slaps dot when dot like sort of like uh there's another wife and you get a free a free knife set um and the way that she's also like trying to reassure him and and talk about like how it's not his fault in in the car afterwards and so it was an interesting insight into karen but really an insight into roy in terms of all these people even saying to gator like you were named because he thought you looked like a little lizard is basically (laughs) that's how he got his name um, and you're not a Roy Tillman like the rest of them. Um, just shows you how much control Roy has had, but how then in this episode it's all slipping away. So I, I agree. It was a, an excellent episode um, from John Hamm, who is yeah the most detestable person maybe on Fargo ever. I'm trying to yeah. Like, I yeah. I think so because as we talked about LT, I think there is just like this dreadful sense to him of characters have certainly done a lot of bad stuff on this show, mm-hmm. but there is this sense of there are Roy Tillman's out in the world today. Whereas like there are no Lauren Malvo's luckily for all of us out there. There are definitely Roy Tillman's out there. I, I unfortunately have like with my family, not in personal relationships myself, but like had to deal with a lot of Roy Tillman's. There's like, a, unfortunately a long line of domestic abuse that goes through the women in my family. And it's mm. really been harrowing to watch it develop and, and, yeah, there are definitely more Roy Tillmans out there. I will say, I know that we're going to talk a lot more. Uh, this is on a definitely less serious note. I know we're going to talk a lot more about uh, John Hamm and praising his performance, as we should, even though he's playing a terrible person. But 
I would be remiss as a Britney Spears fan to not fangirl out a little bit here and say, can you all believe that there was a freaking toxic needle drop that yeah. happened in this episode? It was so good. I mean, yeah. it's more than a needle drop. It was like they played the full thing. Like, there's like <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. They licensed for it. Maybe the shot came about because Noah Hawley's like, well, listen, we paid for the full three minutes. Like, yeah. can we just stick on him for the entire <laughs> run of the song? It's well, it's really affecting, song. right? To, to yeah. not, to, to just, I mean, that is what toxicity is. And it, like, this sounds so silly about uh, the toxic by Britney Spears, but the, the, that is, he's, he's, his, his influence, his power is what is seeps everywhere. And so just have this long, lingering shot of just him on his face. And we're basically saying he is, he is, he's, he's the toxic. worst type of masculinity, he's toxic masculinity. Yeah. It's basically like what the show just said. It's pretty effective. I thought. Very it's effective. Like, and yeah. also, like, there was just a sense of dread that permeated this entire episode. And every yeah. time that Roy was on screen, I was incredibly uncomfortable. And I think the show did a very good job at that. The other thing that they did with the sense of dread is this, you know, as, as entertaining as it was to watch those three people imitating Roy on stage and to watch him get so flustered by it, like a child, you knew that he was going to take that out on Doc. Mm-hmm. And it it was like terrible to see. It was hard to enjoy that part of it because you're like, oh no, like this is gonna come back on her. Yeah, I completely agree. As hysterical as the scene was, though, I mean that was just amazing because also I thought initially because when the name changing scene happened in the cold open, uh, which was very you know performed with a plum by Dave Foley, we'll certainly get into him in a little bit. I thought, okay. Is the plan to get a bunch of Roy Tillmans on the ballot? So this has happened right. in Canada, Michael. There was oh, really? uh, there, there is a, a politician. <laughs> um, you know what? I can't even remember his name because he's so awful. But he basically is like complete super right wing, and he be, he created the People's Party of Canada, Maxime Bernier, and uh, as a basically to like mess with him in his home riding they found a man named maxime bernier to run against him and so there's two maxime berniers on the ballot uh therefore uh hurting his chances of winning so this is a real strategy that's yeah happen. but what's yeah. interesting though is how that pivoted away like i thought they were going the pure strategic route but surprisingly for the tactical rich people that are you know danish graves and company they went a little more mocking and what i found so interesting was watching roy's reaction to the debate because you could say, uh, because basically what it is, is like, it's the it's the ever cascading series of mirrors, right? It's the fun house where it wasn't just the audience laughing at the bit of, oh, here are three guys just repeating everything I say. It's a mockery of everything Roy is trying to stand for. The first thing we saw of this man on this show was him on this horse during sunrise at the top yeah. of the mountain. Like he represents so much of that John Wayne, this is what a real man does, and people should respect that type of machismo. And here, people are actually pointing at him and laughing at what he's represented. They are lampooning him. They are parodying him on stage. And it's so interesting considering that I think that Roy sees himself as essentially an extension of God. He quotes the Bible as he's swinging mm. a freaking chain around to take down Nadine. And he always talked about from the very beginning about how he wasn't there to carry out the will of the Constitution. He was there to carry out the will of God. And so for him, he has been very much brought down to the same plane as the people that he felt were beneath him. And so it felt like, again, why that tracking shot was also so powerful was because like 
it felt for the first time we've we got to see him come to terms with what dot is going to say to him at the beginning of the episode which is like you think the world's crazy but no 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 they're fine you're the one that's truly crazy and i think that debate served as an example of how she might be completely right about that Best part of the mockery is when he shoves the podium down, having a tantrum, and they proceed to all shove their own <laughs> podiums down. Um, no, it's 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 really good, I, and I think this critique of ba- yeah, of like toxic masculinity is so is so good that he just has to be the tough guy. He can't be. I mean, we all have. I think probably have all had people in our life, whether we knew them in school, who like just did not like you know i don't think it's right to like tease but like you know people who like did not like a joke coming their way and i i like definitely am someone who like i use humor like i like reacting off of things that people say sometimes i feel like i'm being too mean we've all been there where like you tell like oh that joke did not did not work mm-hmm. uh, but roy is the worst type of person for these jokes not to work on because yeah he's gonna go and do um do what he's doing but you know i do like even the the question he does get asked is like do you think that they should have a tank and he's like security and you know you know whatever and they're all in order yeah they're all repeating his things it just shows i think what an act um it is and then obviously all commenting like his instinct when he's mad like again like dot said men do they assert power when they are weak which is like he shouldn't have hit anybody but he turns and hits the moderator like how what it just tells you exactly the type of person he actually is once the entire facade crumbles i think in a really really effective way and he's just then just like grasping for things to make him strong and one of the things he can do is he knows he has dot in his barn chained and to the point that you said earlier to you but like that scene being uncomfortable because you knew it was gonna like be taken out on dot i actually think one of the effective not effective things of the show, but the, the thing of the show is like dot's always figured out the plan. She's always like, she's mm-hmm. got a number. And she, when she undoes the bed and has the rod, she's saw, and like, in my head, I was like, oh, we're going to get like the escapade on the thing. And that's what made it m- more, like, I think the way in which she like Kevin McAllister her way out of every scenario up until this point, which is like, I know the most horrific way to like, you know, again, this, as the show's getting more real, like it's not home alone. It's like much worse than that. But I was like, maybe she figures I had to get out of it. And it, it, it's not until for me that she's like, He's walking and it's like, you know where he's going. It's like, it's so horrendously awful. Yeah, I I do want to speak, Grace, you mentioned the Karen perspective, which is Roy's third wife. And she has a couple of fleeting moments, but I agree, I think very pertinent. Because I've certainly seen some discourse about like, okay, now that we've got to, you know, know her, she's one of the least rootable characters on the show. I more so, I think, pitied her then hated her in the first scene where she hits dot for responding to her in that way i mean i mm-hmm. think this is just a textbook example of like shit flowing downhill yes. about a, about a ladder of abuse that like he takes out stuff on her and so she wants to exact some power over somebody else and she does that in the form of dot i think there's a, probably also something representative to her about dot that like she was Dot's replacement, but that Roy went through all these lanes. He couldn't just leave well enough alone. He wasn't happy with the life that he had with her. He had to go back and get Dot that has some resentment there. But then also the post-debate scene in the car. Uh, like you said, Karen is trying to absolve Roy of blame. Uh, he, she's also taking a lot of language from him as well about how she's a curse uh much like they talked about with old munch a couple of episodes ago rubbing her sins in our face but what i also found interesting is right at the tail end of that conversation she says 
she's the albatross. It's not me. And so yeah. there is also something that honestly Dob was accusing Linda of last episode, which mm -hmm. was directly pointing Roy towards somebody else for fear of what his wrath was going to bring LT. Yeah, abuse definitely trickles down. And, you know, I think that we see that a lot of times in families uh, where children are abused, it's it happens because the mother is being abused and she needs someone to take out her frustration on. And in this case, you know, Dot being there is kind of the literal embodiment of like every problem that this woman has been facing all at the same time with, you know, there's something about me that's so wrong that he had to go out and like, keep looking for this woman. Like she was the one that got away. I've, I've been here doing all the work, but she was the one who got away. So she got all the attention. And so it, you know, like, I feel like just about any abuse victim who is trying to turn the tide, you know, away from themselves is going to direct it toward the person that, you know, they would have the most animus toward. And that would be, in Karen's case, that would be Dot um, or Nadine, as she would know her. So it, it's just, it's really hard to watch because, you, you know, in the same way that we think about men reacting toward women a certain way when they're weak, if Dot hadn't been there, then he would have taken out his frustrations on Karen. Mm -hmm. So Karen, in a way, had to redirect it toward Dot because she was in self-preservation mode and all of this is terrible and it's not great to like you know have these aspects in a rootable character if you think about karen in terms of being an abused woman then it, it kind of turns all of that upside down because abused people don't cope with things in normal ways yeah i mean i mean exactly that is like the point i wanted to to make which is that she well not only is she like abused, but she's also like she's she's watching a man, her husband, who a woman left him and he's hunting her down. And uh, we haven't really talked about the fact that Roy fully reveals that Linda is dead. He killed yeah. her. He, he yeah. buried her um, and says that he'll do the same to Dot. He'll bury her in the grave right next to her. It's like, yeah, you'll be you'll be exactly where Linda is. Um, uh so this is a, a woman who knows what will happen if she tries to leave, if she tries mm -hmm. to go away. She has two two daughters. Uh, she has these twin, twin daughters that she, you know, it, this is awful that she has more of a connection to, to them and, and wants to make sure that, like, they are okay and safe um, uh, more than, than Nadine. And she's, you know, there's this, like, complete, um, you know, she's completely a victim um, in this. And it's pretty awful I, I feel like it's unfair she's like not rootable because like i don't know it's just maybe not how i watch tv in terms of like yeah. you know but yeah it's completely awful and i think it's like part of the world building here and i you know i feel a little bit bad being like basically karen tells us a lot about roy um but unfortunately i think she she does uh it's it's how much roy has control and the, and the amount of effort he's gone into making sure that dot pays for leaving is exactly why Karen is would do exactly what she's doing in this scenario, which is not leave play the part, you know, be as mad at dot as, uh, as Roy is because that's what you need to do for your own safety. It's, it's, it's awful. Exactly yeah. that. I mean, I think 
to watch the beginning of this episode where Roy is forcefully checking Dot out of the hospital and to see him like really flex his jurisdictory muscles over that nurse who is like incredibly sympathetic to Dot's cause and obviously sees the help message to see him fall so far, even over the course of this episode. And we have so much more to go. I know Whitmore and Gator, that consequences are coming, but I feel like that could apply to the entire Tillman name. It was just so interesting because again, I think this guy would claim that like, he is all logic, no emotions, only weak people have emotions, but like 75% of the things he does in this episode are completely emotional, are not based in any logic whatsoever. I mean, we'll get into uh, the different mindsets that Danish and Roy had going into that final confrontation. But the fact of the matter is that Roy quite literally shot himself in the foot. You know, he could have had this out. And that's what's so interesting about Roy as well. I know you speak about him being the titular toxic, but what I go back to with that iconic song is I'm addicted to you. Mm. Don't you know that you're toxic? And I think it could partially be applied to like Roy's thinking about Dot as well. This guy Mm. could have left enough alone. He was the one that chose to exhume her body. He was the one that decided, oh, she was the one that got away. Oh, wait, she's out there. I need to find her. We met him in that first episode. He was flying high. It seemed like he had everything under the palm of in the palm of his hand as he wanted. But we saw over the course of these eight episodes, as a result of him pursuing her relentlessly, as Dot tells Gator, he has done so much sloppy shit. He has gotten now the like state police, the federal government, and now Lorraine Lyon on his against him as well. And they are all encroaching upon this ranch and Roy quite literally blew away any chance he possibly had of escaping relatively unscathed from this. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com/audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com/audio. That's carshield.com/audio. Yeah, sure. It's, it's funny. Roy is so awful that he's made these characters who the first episode was like, is Lorraine Lyon the worst character we've ever seen in Fargo? And now I'm like, go get him, Lorraine. Yeah. Go get him. Let's go. Let's ride. I think someone in the in the Discord talked about like, um, unfortunately for Danish, this is uh, obviously um, like women. Uh, this is a women centered story. Obviously, the villain here being Roy. So it's like, yeah, OK, Lorraine and Adira going. Um, but even though he's even, you know, talking to when he shoots Danish, he's like, you're you're dumb. You're a dumb man. But to the point about like, yeah, not leaving well enough alone that like Dot is out there. This is just a man who cannot comprehend the idea that he's he he himself has failed at anything. Um, oh. And he'll say publicly like, no, no, she failed me. She she chose not to like adhere to the vow she made to me. But the the thing is, is that he can't. She she has to be punished for that. There can't be any you know insistence that like. You know, because like if she's out there being like, well, I left him because he's an awful man, even though she never, as she points out, like she's like, I never said anything. I was just happy to just live my life and be gone. Um, but he can't he can't have that because there's a hint that like that's a, it's a failure on his part. And also 
harkens back to what Lorraine said. You want to have everything your way and and not have any of the consequences. You know who else gets that? A baby. Mm-hmm. And he spent the entirety of the episode throwing one big tantrum. Yeah, but then also trying to throw the blame back onto other people. Mm-hmm. Instead, he consistently told Dot throughout this episode, like, if anything happens, it's on you. It's your fault. You have to do this in order to be free. He was trying to dictate so many things on his own terms that he himself was in control of. And it's just, it's a classic manipulation tactic. But as I sort of segue into the other side of this dynamic in Dot, I really liked getting her perspective because at least my assumption is that this is at least a little slice of the way Dot was regarding him towards the end of their marriage all those 10 years ago where we got nervous at the end of the last episode of like, okay, these two are finally meeting after all the weird shared dreams after that puppet show. How is she going to react to this blast from her past? And it turns out she really is that tiger. Uh, And yes, she is chained up in this moment, but it's going to be a short amount of time, I would imagine. And LT, I just thought the rapport back and forth with them, particularly in those first couple scenes, was just electric. So good. There's so much venom between the two of them. And you really get from Dot that she is living out her worst nightmare right now. Like she's in the middle of a situation that she worked hard to escape from and to completely change her, like who she was. And now she's somehow captured again when she's back with, with him. I think of like the first, the opening minutes of the episode where she is in the hospital and like trying to, she's telegraphing all of the signs, you know, that she needs help. That, you know, she writes it down on the paper, as you said earlier, Um, you know, she, but she's also very, like, aware of Roy's wrath and what he would do to other people. So she is trying to protect herself, but also trying to protect other people at the same time from him. It's just, it's, it's a very lived in kind of dynamic that you, it's, it's, it's completely different than what you would expect. I think um, these two interactions would be like, because you would maybe think that she would just shut down completely yeah, and not want to interact with him at all, but she's sparring with him. Like she is not, you know, trying to be as strong as she can in any given moment and look for her opportunity for escape. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And that was so interesting to watch as well, that, Again, the pure irony of people like Roy and Gator feeling like they are the not soft, hardened, emotional types. And she completely makes the emotional please them. And not to say that I don't think there's at least a little bit of truth founded in, you know, her listing out all the things that she could be missing out on with Scotty and with Mm -hmm. Wayne. Or when she talks to Gator, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit about like the origin of his name. And we can certainly get into you know, her initial disbelief into full-on confirmation about Linda's death and what she pitches to Gator, I at least took it, Grace, at face value as like, okay, she is definitely trying to appeal to them so that much like she does with that chain, as soon as they get in a vulnerable enough position, that's when she strikes. And again, I think even in this moment, to LT's point, where she is arguably at her most cornered, at her weakest, she still has that feistiness and strength to her. Yeah, what I thought was so interesting is that I was like, ooh, the this this would work if it if it wasn't like Roy and Gator. 
you know, of like this <laughs> compassionate plea, right? This like, like the, it seems like the approach to like, how do you convince Roy to let you go is to be like, okay, I'll, I'll stay here. If you just untie, untie me from the chain. Like basically what she does in the hospital, which I know she writes, help me on the release form. And then Roy is basically like, Oh, Hey, like Susan, like, how's your husband doing? I know like you'd be totally awful if something bad happened to him. And so she gets a new release for him, but she's like, she does not tell Wit. It's so again, so one of the fascinating things is this like character beat of dot that she clearly like, I mean, she trusts Indira, but like, why doesn't she like, why doesn't she say something to, to like to wit? I know it's like, you know, okay, we're going to get a shootout in the hospital. So she's yeah. like, but it's, it's so fascinating to me, no, but, but yeah, can I, can I, can I count yes. that? Because I yes. think what the, why is, is the fact that she lived for so many years with Roy yeah, yeah. and much like a Logan Roy. Yeah. He, all he does is win. Yeah. She's never yeah. seen him lose. She yeah. is the only loss that he yeah. has taken over the course of these years. And so I think for her, yes, there is perhaps a bit of like, I don't want other people to get hurt. But I would also imagine from her perspective, I mean, considering that like he ends up sending in his goons right there to just stare down wit that she's like, you can't beat him at this moment. You can't beat him at his own game. But she also wrote help me on the on the form. Right. So it's like she 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 like is always trying to maneuver. But it's something about th this where she's like always been like no police. Right. Like no, you can't mm -hmm. like uh, and not not all police because she goes to Indira to be like, watch my kid. Although she's like technically being to Indira, like basically don't be a police officer right now. Basically, just be yeah. a woman who will help me. Right. So I, I just think it's an interesting like it's an interesting character thing that I don't think is like you know, I don't think it's like a plot hole or whatever. I think it's like intentionally written in here. But she then like she does give this like very dramatic plea of like i you know i the, the, i do like it's so sad fargo is such a trickster and when she's like dots thing that she hopes roy will be like okay well that's foolproof you gotta go is what you need three days lead time to order an ice cream cake and it's like how maybe will that work i don't think so but it's just so interesting like the the approach she takes to try to basically be free as a like because you would think the luring in thing would be like basically like i'm an idiot i you know, i messed up like like give him what he wants to hear but she it's almost like she's she refuses to do that too um and and i think that's like fair for her not like why would you even want to pretend like you're in the situation that she was ever in before so i just think the writing and the scene is so sad but it's so it's so interesting and i think like just well done character work here to to have her just like plead about all the things that Roy is taking away from her because that's almost just like her that is her at her most core after an episode we just saw where she needed to like figure out who she is and she's like I just learned that but I also think the interesting thing about Dot this episode when she's speaking to Gator she's like I saw your mom and she we know that she woke up in the diner and like walked outside and then got hit by a car and I'm I'm just intrigued to talk through maybe like how much of like because then she's gonna learn like linda's dead and i think it sets in so is her belief that like that dream was like a manifestation of the truth that like yeah i might have like fallen asleep at the diner but like she's obviously still at camp utopia or 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 whatever because that's that's my impression of like her pleading with gator rather than it being like to trick gator into being like i saw your i saw your mom because how cruel i think to be like i saw your mom and then no what happened to her so it's just an interesting like also she got hit by a car 
So it's totally so, fair that maybe just like everything is all like yeah. That's that's the up. major implication that I have is that like uh, she might be a little concussed. This might be a bit of a Wayne situation where she's not like completely all there. But I will admit I was a little surprised. I mean, Grace, I think you brought up a point last week about okay, how did she not realize that Linda was dead before all this? Why would she have the assumption that Linda was out there somewhere? And I think we talked a bit about like what Linda represented to her. So maybe it was this sort of hopeful state that Linda was still out there combined with perhaps kind of still having a foot in the fantasy as well as the reality being a bit addled about the change in environment. I don't know, LT, do you have any thoughts about Dot's headspace? Um, I didn't... I didn't read all of that into it, honestly. Like, I just thought, like, this woman is a tiger. She's trapped. And she's going to use whatever, like, it may not be nice, but this man broke into her house and was responsible for it being set on fire and, like, tried to kidnap her several times. So she doesn't have to be nice to him about his mommy. Like, I feel bad that his mother is no longer with us because his father killed him. But, like, she's going to say anything that she needs to say to get out of this situation and it's smart of her to pick the thing that he would probably have been wondering about his entire life which is where is my mom and mm. to to offer that i mean i i can also see dot as being the type of person who would do research like if i ever got caught again like what are the types of things that i should do to try to endear myself to my captor and these are the types of things that you do. You find something in their psyche that you can pick at and you try to exploit it for your own good. Um, mm. I feel like any um, of the deleterious effects of the car accident probably wore off the second that she saw her husband. Mm. Like that's a very sobering experience for someone. So I think she's just in survival mode. Mm. Yeah, I think the I totally agree with that. I think the thing I would maybe counter with was the way she reacted to Roy telling her, I'll bury you right next to her. And specifically when she breaks the window and she sees that windmill, which was the windmill that she dug up the Camp Utopia postcard at, that maybe mm. that reality was setting in for her. Again, Fargo also deals a lot with fantastical elements. And I wouldn't say it was necessarily like, out of character for Dot to not understand. I think it shows that she's human as much as she might be extraordinary when it comes to escaping her way out of every corner she finds herself in. She is still someone who like sinks herself into hopes and perhaps delusions. And so I think your read is totally valid. I personally read it as like, okay, maybe this just wasn't something she officially confirmed in her head until she realized like, oh crap yeah, this was her final resting place. And Danish Graves is now lying on top of her as well as all the bodies that Roy Tillman and company have slaughtered over the years. Yeah, brutal. Well, well let's talk about Gator, uh, as we mentioned him a couple of times. You know, he only gets really one major scene in this episode, but it is a big one now that we know a bit more about the relationship that they had. So here's a question I'll put out here, Grace, sort of in response to what LT has been talking about. Do you think Gator knew his mom was dead? Because you could also read that when she says that and he's like, you're a liar. It's tough because the way Joe Keery played it initially made it seem like he was in denial. But there's also a chance that like he couldn't know about it. And that's why he's saying you're lying about it. Yeah, that's so interesting. The piece for me that I, I think it's so interesting about Gator is that I feel like 
he both desperately wants love from you know his like we see that in the flashback about how he would go to to dot for comfort when like things were bad but i i feel like the way he's saying like you're a liar is almost i think my uh i feel like he has to know but also potentially he's been so gaslit into this idea of like it was her fault that she did like does his father he must he knows his father sucks basically right but he also is so sucked into the world of his father and being like his father and yeah, proving he, his he father said, he said i'm not going anywhere in response to her which i think obviously refers to like a location perspective but i think is so telling about the way gator views his lot in life which is like right. i have no other aspirations my aspiration is to be right here yeah so one of the things i think you know even as i'm like thinking it was like okay does dot think that the dream was real or whatever like yeah she's concussed but also i think that there's a way in which like multiple things can be true even when you have all the information like you don't know in your brain and sometimes you know one day you might think oh well i have all the information so it must be option a and then other times you're like well i have all the information so it could be option b i'm a terrible overthinker so this would like it drives me nuts sometimes to have like all the or like 99 of the information and that one last one like that one percent could change everything and i almost wonder if both with dot but more importantly here with gator like he could know that that happened he could i i theorized last week that like the thing is actually that like she did try to leave and so and then and then Roy killed her because she tried to leave just like mm -hmm. Dot did. So this idea that he like he has in his mind both that she left and that she's dead, right? Like you and and whether or not like he knows Roy lies. So like, well, he said he killed her, but maybe he did like, you know, she got what she deserved. Maybe he never even has fully said I killed her. He's just implied that he killed it. Right. There's all of these different ways it can mutate between what Roy has told Gator and what Gator believes about his mom. And I think that the way it seems like he does not he in whether or not it's because she died or she left gator clearly feels like spurned by his mom and now you have this other motherly figure basically a motherly figure to him being like, he calls her mama earlier being like i've actually seen your mother i can take you to her and his response is like no you're lying my, my mother's lie they leave me they're gone they're no good so i'm just gonna like stick with what's the safest which is my father i just think it's like so complex which is why it makes the show so fun to talk about because i don't think there's like i think anybody could have an interpretation of this and i can like see the argument for it yeah lt give us your interpretation oh this is so hard watching the scene between gator and dot is so difficult because it's like watching two abused kids try to like reconcile the reality that they're in with each other and there, it's really haunting to watch the two of them have a conversation. Um, I think that I think that I can see it one of two ways. The first is that he believe Gator believes his mom left him, and it has and and that all women just leave, and mm -hmm. that was proven by Dot. And so he he doesn't really like place much emphasis in, you know, what what Dot is saying right now because his his mom, like his dad said, left and abandoned him, right? Um, and therefore maybe he's not worthy of that love. Mm. Um, 
but the other way I can see it is, you know, this is this was a, a clearly a very observant kid. Like we saw that in the uh, puppet show last week, and and kids are like that. Like they see and hear everything. It's possible that he did know that his mother died, and he just internalized it and forgot about, like not forgot about it, but like repressed it. So that he could keep going, because who else did he have there but his dad, especially after Dot left? He was left with no one else but his dad. So he he figured, like, his way of adapting to his dad's abuse was to try to be as much like his father as possible, because he couldn't possibly hate himself. Mm. Um, and I think that both of those are incredibly tragic. Like, I agree with Grace in that there are lots of different ways to view what possibly he believes. I think ultimately it hurts him too much to admit that she might actually be alive. And so he's just like, no, I don't want to hear anything you have to say. Mm. Yeah. Also probably doesn't help that he finally gets, you know, the etymological definition of his name here. And I mean, not only does it have some Trumpy circumstances as well of like, just the idea of the dad saying, ah, that doesn't look like someone who can carry on my name. (laughs) I mean, look at the fact that, from where we have tracked Gator so far, he says last week, like, no, I'm supposed to be this, like, D1 varsity athlete for you. I'm your right-hand man. I'm the person that you can trust in. But it seems like from the picture that Dot was painting, he was never that. He was always one that was quite literally to Roy, based on the name, subhuman, reptilian, something that crawls on its hands and knees and does not stand up to look eye-to-eye with any mammals that stand above it. And so, damn, Mike. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> just but reading gators on here. But it's also tragic as well in that, in that. If you're an alligator who's listening, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry to our alligator and that is, crowd that is what I'm concerned about. Our I don't know how friends. how we're gonna pull down in Florida. I think I may be out of the race, <laughs> just like Roy. Uh, but I I do think that there is something there as well. And there's another even increasing layer of tragedy to what you were mentioning before, LT. Of like, if it's true, this guy was never worthy for his father from the moment he locked eyes with him as an itty bitty baby he has been consistently trying to run up an icy hill and he keeps on slipping but yeah but also roy made him that way he called him gator so he he has this image of him it's literally just from looking at him it's it's pretty awful uh well i've said that a lot i feel like every punchline of my statements is like yeah it's pretty awful it's pretty awful (laughs) well listen the consequences Uh, are are coming for gator though uh the munch popping up from the backseat Honestly, should not have been as funny as yeah. it came across, but I loved it. Uh, so here's something. I don't know if you all caught this, but when Wit was talking to Danish at the gas station, uh, a code got called in over his radio. Oh, yeah. yeah. Of a 1099, uh, which I believe I'm not up on my police scanner verbiage, but I believe refers to police officer held hostage. Oh, interesting. Oh. So could mean that that's appealing, despite the fact that, you know, Gator insists to Wit, like, oh, you have no jurisdiction here. I don't think it's coincidental that Wit might have gotten a communique that a fellow officer of the law, as separate as they may be, has been held hostage by this creepy man that was hiding in the back of his car. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Yeah, officer held hostage or cardiac arrest, but officer held hostage seems more likely. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, we got very little munch in this episode, but LT, anything to possibly expect with, as Gator says, meaning the consequences of his own actions next episode? 
first of all, how long do you think he was laying down in that car? Days. <laughs> I I mean, he's 500 years old. So like a couple days in the backseat of a car probably isn't that big of a deal. Um, I think that they're setting up Whit R to be a hero here. I'm, I don't know who he's going to be rescuing, honestly, because I feel like Gator's just dumb enough that it makes him dangerous. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that I also don't know because I I don't want this to be a Gator redemption story in any mm -hmm. way. So, like, part of me is like, oh, yeah, just let him be held hostage and then murdered. And then we'll just have Wit there, I guess, as a witness. A witness. Um, yeah, a witness. Uh, I, I I don't think I it it seems like how long can Munch just be like what does he want he, you know I guess the money got taken again so he if he just wants the money well now he wants he, revenge his yeah. mother died I know so it does feel like this at the point where like he breaks into the house to put the symbol on he like kills the the guy's like Gator's partner and says like I'm you know you owe me or whatever like, there's only so many times I can like feel like munch almost kills gator it doesn't kill him he just like gives him an ominous warning um does feel like things have to probably come to a head next episode which is great news for either me or lt where we both have uh munch uh i have munch and lts gator on our death Ooh. trap and i got a point this week because old Danish Graves was my oh. number one draft pick on the oh, death wow. Um Good my, for you, Graves. Yeah, yeah, you have Wayne and Lorraine, which I didn't realize, but it's very fun to say. Oh, yeah. uh, and LT, you're just waiting for Lars uh, to go and yeah. Gator. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Do you think sort of like the the Gator etymology that that was purposeful on Lorraine's part that she wanted a, her son to be a literal echo of her name? Yeah, yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, Wayne Lion. Yeah. Well, let's focus on Wit for a brief skosh here before we get to Danish because. It's been a while, Wit. Good to see you. Uh, I'll admit, like, uh, Danish Graves was, I think, at the bottom of my power rankings for main characters and kind of leapfrogged Wit in this episode with his last stand. Like, I love Winnie the Bish. I love Lamore Morris. Wit is not doing much for me, admittedly. I think he's just, like, a little too goody-good without us really finding out a lot about any complications behind that. I mean, it's, it's fantastic for what he represents and i'm happy we got more of him in this episode and i'm grateful that he was the person that served to basically connect everybody right to see dorothy happenstance in the hospital to then put in the call to indira to get lorraine on board to tell danish about it to get him on board obviously but lt do you have any thoughts about wit one way or the other character development i don't know her <laughs> <laughs> honestly i had such high hopes for this character in the first couple episodes, because we see that great, you know, standoff that happens in the grocery, the convenience store. Um, but they've done nothing with him except use him to be the butt of some racist jokes made by Gator. Like, what? What is this character? Like, I could understand um, if there was more of the subtext in there of. You know, like maybe this will be the one police officer that Dot will come to trust and confide in because it makes sense that she wouldn't want cops around or like want to, you know, or trust the cops. You know, the law in her world was Roy. Um, and any of the people that may have like seen her even after she was abused, they weren't able to do anything ultimately because he was the law in the town. Um, mm. So 
it would be great if the storyline was going there, but just to have him show up later at this standoff, I don't really, I don't know what his character point, like the point of his character has been for this entire show. I, he feels interestingly the most classic Fargo cop character. Like you think of the movie, just how like there is like some goody two shoesness to, to sometimes these, these characters. I feel like, unfortunately, you know, you say that, Latanya, but then she literally goes to Indira to be like, "Can you watch my child?" And I know, yeah, again, but even you said that she asked Indira to not be a cop for a minute. I know, I know. <laughs> ignore the law for a few minutes. <laughs> but also, like I said earlier this season, like, is that what we of like? Is that the story they want to tell in like 2024 of like, no. like you got to trust one cop at least? <laughs> no, <laughs> but I feel, but like, no, what I know. Happened? Well, I because I I think that. If they're mapping out the show, he feels like someone that they added later where it's like, you need a cop. You yeah. want a cop at the first scene. And it's like, oh, that'll be Indira. It's like, well, maybe it's not Indira because like that person's going to get shot. Or whatever. So it's not Indira. And then you need like basic. And they've done this like North Dakota, um, Montana thing. Right. So there's Minnesota, like, yeah. Or Minnesota. So there's like, they want the two. And it, it feels like he keeps being in most of his scenes, right. His scene when he tells Gator, he's like, it's, it's a scene for, this was kind of saying earlier, there's a lot of characters this season that I think are like, they, they uplift the, uh, someone else's story. And I feel like that's like most of wits utility. This season is that like, when he's talking to Gator, he's trying to give Gators like consequences are coming. Munch pops up in the back of his car. He's talking with Danish. He's like, you should go do this. And then Danish goes, like he's, he's mostly there. I feel like as utility, for somebody else's story and basically every scene he's in right when he when he's in the hospital and indira and gator go it's like he's there because like gator needs to take the photos off indira's phone because she needs to show the photos to some right it's like everything's a little bit utility for for wit which is which is too bad but i don't know no i kind of liked in this episode i gotta say i don't mind the goody two-shoesness of like someone just earnestly trying to do good maybe it sucks that it's a cop but Whatever. No, he's yeah. he, he's plot cop. That's exactly yeah. what he is. He's the cop <laughs> who comes in and is like, all right, we need to get to this plot point. Let me be here to set it up. Let me connect all the characters together. So plot cop is a necessity. I'm happy to have plot cop here. Yeah. I'll yeah. take that explanation. <laughs> yeah. Well, let us bereave the one, the only Danish Graves, who has a hell of an episode. I mean, listen, when we start the episode with such a focus on him, part of me was like, dude, don't stay in that town. <sighs> Dude, don't gloat about this to Lorraine. Definitely don't go to that ranch alone. And I don't know. I'm trying to think about like a couple ways as to why he did that. I think a little bit is from a practicality perspective. He truly believes that like Roy Tillman is a man of logic, that he is a man of rules because he is a lawman and that he feels like, okay, I know you want something, which is to win this election. And so let me make this offer to you. He brought an offer to a gunfight essentially. And he was approaching it from a businessman perspective. I think part of it might be a bit of infallibility of like, as Lorraine likes to talk about, he's been inside the walls the entire time. He has been someone who has been relatively untouched as someone that has been linked to the 1% within Minnesota. But I feel like if you take a closer look at Danish Graves, if you parse out those mustache hairs one by one, you get a look at someone who in an show that is all about the idea of toxic masculinity honestly one of the most emasculated characters on the show consider that the first things we see of him is like he can't come down to the stairs the same time as Lorraine to make an entrance he can't be in the Christmas photo or hold any guns uh he is someone who 
had to get his ID checked to get into the Lion Estate, despite the fact that he basically lives there. This is someone who I think maybe has some pent up, I wouldn't say aggression, but like desire to kind of swing that fist around in a manner of speaking. And I wonder if part of it was of him specifically not choosing to tell Lorraine about it was a, maybe him making the wrong call and feeling like, well, she would delay it. She does not care about Dorothy that much. I want to be the one to do it. Or maybe it's him perhaps being suckered in a bit of what was just parodied with Roy Tillman of like, I'm going to be the one to swing in and save the day right now. Yeah, I, I love that all of his favorites are just different versions of Lorraine's phone number uh, on his phone. It's like Lorraine office, Lorraine study, Lorraine whatever. Um, I actually think like Danish is kind of more Karen than anybody. And I, and what I think is really hmm. interesting, like, you you know, to to Lorraine. And I you know, we talked about how awful Lorraine is. And she is she is pretty awful at the beginning. We've come to like empathize the fact that like she's trying to get her her daughter-in-law back because her daughter-in-law loves her son and she's you know uh you know whatever but it's almost like the the foolish nature of of danish going to 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 do this offer is that he also always gets his way he does it at the behest of lorraine Mm. but there lorraine is also someone who does not like not getting her way much like roy tillman there is this sense of there is roy has this added you know, ingredient of toxic masculinity, but there's also this, this episode, you t- I think you said at the beginning of the show, like there's such a, or maybe it was a different show. I was talking about with someone else, uh, but uh, th- there's a class dynamic here in this, in the show as well. Mm. That's exactly what Lorraine is telling Indira of like, you, you make sure people don't come in here. And in here we get like, basically whatever I get, whatever I want. You, you have no control over me. And so if Danish is an extension of Lorraine, a woman who gets everything, uh, she wants he's going thinking like well there's no way turns down in fact like when he comes into the conversation like yeah he sees the end of it and she doesn't get her way in that conversation but he's like well now i ha- now we've like screwed him enough that he's obviously he's going to take this deal and he doesn't realize that roy is wild and will shoot him so i think it's like it's a, they're almost like it's it was interesting to me that like roy and lorraine like butted heads and this is an extension of that uh i see it um because they're all they're both people who get everything they want and in here it's obviously roy who gets it because he's a little bit more willing to be he's willing to kill somebody so he wins lt you want to memorialize danish grace for us what an idiot I don't know what it is about a person that makes them go, you know what? I'm going to stroll on to the property of the law in this general area. And I've just humiliated him terribly and made sure that he's going to lose the one job his family has ever held. Um, but mm-hmm. like, I just go onto his property and make him and make him an offer. And everything will be fine. And none of his tons of guns and weapons will hurt me in any way. Like the hubris that you have to have, I understand celebrating a W, but like that is taking it a little too far. I I do agree that he was probably trying to swoop in and be like the, you know, king for a day and be the person who actually saved the day. Like I, I did this, I brought him down and then I was able to successfully negotiate the release of and it's just like no that was never going to happen danish um and now you're a dead and not only did you die but like roy got to say a really cool line 
and it's I hate pretty that. silly. I, <laughs> pretty I silly. love it though. It's so good though because it's, it's like good. quintessential Roy in that moment yeah. where he's like, "Okay, what brilliant one-liner can I say?" And he essentially paraphrases Homer Simpson by saying, "If you're so smart, pregnant pause, then why are you so dead?" I love it because like it is an incredibly stupid line, but it's so representative of the character yeah. in that moment, which is essentially playing dress up, which is him yeah. being like, aha, this is what all the badass Western stars say. It sounds so cool when I say it. Mm-hmm. So good. So bad. It's so bad. <gasps> well, let's finish things off by taking a brief dip into those Minnesotan waters. Let's talk about Indira here. This might be a hot take. Can I just say like Roy Tillman, absolutely disgusting person but lars is far and away the worst character on the show like his monologue to indira a couple episodes back about like i need a wife is maybe one of the most like deplorable things i've heard on the show like roy obviously absolutely horrendous monster of a human being but at least has like some complexities there but large what lars represents as just like the harmless yet still almost equally toxic overgrown man child like unnerved me to no end and good freaking riddance to bad rubbish though i don't know maybe a bit of a an undersight on indira's part by being like i need you out of the house now let me leave you alone in my property while i go off <laughs> i until i see lars swinging the chain around i don't think he oh, could be the worst person on the show but i yeah. i hear what you're saying and that he's uh he's a he's like a buffoon who like if he somehow managed to get any sort of power and influence, he could be just as bad as Roy. I, I, well, think, I, I think it's interesting on the like, you know, he they are similar people and and very much have these like outdated beliefs about men and power and and their their lot in life and and what privilege they should have and do have. But yeah, listen, mm-hmm. LT finally gets his comeuppance. Indira has had it in this moment. She's in her era. I love it. Um, I'm glad I knew that when he sprayed on that cologne a couple episodes ago that he was going to, uh, you know, going off to do some dastardly deeds. I did not think he would bring it back to his home. Uh, but he, you know, he works from home. So like we have to allow him. He works. Yeah, that's that in loose golf quotation. simulator is really I, hard work. He I do, to work. Yeah, I do love the line. You'd rather sit in the dark than change a light bulb. Uh, yeah, the body is Lars. Very good. Yeah. That's I, the thing. That's what I hate about him. Is like he just and and granted, yes, I will say not the worst character on the show. It's like fun. I would no. say, like at, like almost like the least like character from my perspective because at least mm-hmm. like Roy and Gator have like interesting character elements to them, despite the fact that they are much worse behaviors mm-hmm. than Lars. But Lars just like sucks on so many levels because there's not even complexities to him like this is someone who paints himself as the victim the entire time and thinks the world of himself when really he is an absolute nobody and i also loved when indira was dressing him down and this mistress is just staying there like oh yeah i hopped in bed with the wrong guy for many reasons this guy's pathetic yeah yeah i i love it when uh when people are like not at all pressed about ending relationships when they're just like okay great leave later <laughs> fantastic i'm glad this is over you can sell all the stuff and get the money back although yeah i think you're right it's probably all gone right when she gets home yeah yeah i think i would not be surprised if like the house feels like it was ransacked of during the many home invasions over the course of this season and indira does have some hope at the end of this episode, she gets the tip from Wit, the Wit tip uh, as to where Dot is being held. And she goes to 
Lorraine, I mean, what are we expecting from this LT? Do we think that the security team now led by Indira encroaches on the Tillman property next episode? Are we building towards something in the finale? I would hope it's in the next episode, just because what are they doing if they're not going in there immediately? I um, struggle to think, Latanya, whether or not Allah or, you know, Game of Thrones are episode nine. Like, I, I don't really remember from my far get like I didn't rewatch it. You you yeah. watch through some stuff, Mike, like whether or not because it's interesting in an anthology show. You almost, you know, you would think that maybe it all gets saved for the finale. But I could see uh, I, I feel like multiple times I've been like, well, next episode, I can't wait for the battle on the ranch. <laughs> it doesn't happen. So I think I'm just going to keep saying it because then I'll be right once. <laughs> Well, yeah, it, it it sort of varies. Like episode nine of season one, if I recall, happened after the time jump. So like there was some stuff in there that was where uh, Lester Nygaard also like sent his poor wife in there with his jacket yeah. to get assassinated by Lauren Malvo. Of course, infamously, episode nine of season two was, I believe, the UFOs, right. I think. Right. Uh, so they certainly mm. have the capacity to provide some of its bigger stuff in the penultimate episode before just like all the consistently falling action that occurs. But I think that Fargo has been very good at taping us on our toes. We're like, I don't know if we should look forward to, okay, it's going to be a big firefight at the Tillman ranch, but I, I have to imagine something's going to happen. And I think it makes sense to the points that both of you have made. Like if this is a story about women empowerment, like it, it makes sense that these two women are going to team up and actually be the ones to save the day when Danish couldn't. I, I really don't. Th and this is where like, it's funny. Cause I said earlier, like, you know, whether or not Karen is rootable, like that's not really how I watch TV, but I, I feel like I'm more, I, I'm more likely to root for people than not than, than root against people. And there's something in the show, like, yeah, I want Roy to die, but like, whatever, you know, <laughs> but Boy, you know, I talked about this um, uh, before I gave like a shout out, like thought might be like the best new character of the year. Mm -hmm. We unveiled the countdown and she did not win, but she got enough votes. And I was like so pleasantly surprised because Fargo comes so late in the year. But I don't think I've been like sadder watching television than to watch Dot, who again, as like I said, Every time she manages to get out, she gets out of the home escape the first time. She gets out of it the second time. She gets out of the hospital. She doesn't get kidnapped. And then she curls up in a little ball. And it's oh, like so man. heartbreaking and so sad that I, this is one where like, I'm loving that the show is week to week, but I don't like that I'm living in the world where like Dot is basically sad for, <laughs> for a week. It makes me sad for a week. So I, yeah, I just need, I need like Dot to get her crew back. And that was a tough end to the episode of just her crumpled into a, a ball. I did not like it. I yeah, like, I think yeah. it's powerful, but I didn't like it. Well, it's because I think she's been essentially in a high speed car chase for eight episodes yes. and she finally hit a dead end. Yeah. She had yeah. it confirmed for her that like Linda, whether or not she thought that she was actually out there, it was confirmed to her that she is not, she's right over there. That's where you are going. And that's where in fact, one person that did try to help you, one of your lifelines in Danish Graves, is there right now. Yeah. That is the power of Roy Tillman. You cannot escape. You are as metaphorically shackled as you are literally shackled. And so I agree, Grace. It was a really crushing ending, but LT, I feel like so resonant of someone who almost seemed like unflappable to finally, almost like we saw Roy in that tracking shot, just come to pieces and let the visage drop. 
Yeah, it was uh, like really tough to watch. Um, but at the same time, you know, as all of this is happening, there are reserves of strength that are there. And you can tell that that is the case. I mean, my favorite line of the episode being from Dot uh, to Roy when she says, I'm going to kill you. I'm just like, when is that going to happen? <laughs> so I thought it was, yeah. I thought it was a powerful choice to actually not have Wayne and Scotty in this episode. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it reinforces the idea that like she, they're not with Dot right now, and the only thing she wants, like the things she's talking about about going back, are for them. And so when hopefully we get that, I feel like I feel like the it like adds unfortunately to like the sadness of this episode. But I think it was yeah. a smart choice to actually just not have like they're so absent because they're absent from Dot's life right now. I completely agree. And I actually think almost like I talked about last week, like I love this episode, but I think I would have appreciated the swing even more if we like didn't do the Indira and Lorraine stuff. If we just kept the entire action in North Dakota to kind of remind us of, okay, Dodd has to sit in and live through her past again. Let's experience that alongside her and tune out any other characters, much like two weeks ago when Dodd was not seen in the episode whatsoever. And we saw all the other characters interact without her getting to live in that headspace would have been, again, we got it for nearly all the episodes. So I really can't complain too much, nor can I really about anything that blanket had to offer in general. It was an incredibly visceral episode. One that touched upon again, some of the most like grounded realistic stuff that Fargo has ever talked about in a show that is about aliens and magic men and everything like that. But at the same time, I think it was grounded by really incredible performances, some fantastic writing of stuff, full smart, and stupid and i think if people complain for whatever reason that they felt like last week was too slow didn't really go anywhere we are barreling at this point a lot happened in this episode and i think considering the mess that roy just made for himself it's going to set up a lot for the last two episodes let's go around the horn much like the ones that showed up around roy a couple times in this episode any final thoughts about the episode then plug what you're doing on this network and others lt start with you um I am very much looking forward to next week's episode. <laughs> I mean, that that's honestly all I got. I just, I really wish that I could hit play on the next episode right away, but I couldn't because we're watching it week to week, which is fine. Everything is fine. Um, <laughs> uh, as far as plugs, are we allowed to talk about what we're doing? Yeah, we Trump, can. Yeah, yeah. Trailer, the trailer is officially out. Um, so yeah, we're going to be covering... Um, uh, True Detective Night Country, uh, which is very exciting. And uh, the way that uh, Mike and I specifically are going to be covering it is that we're going to have a little versus. Yeah, dust <laughs> off that versus, bring it back. Yes. So it's going to be True Detective Season 1 versus True Detective. Oh, I thought you were doing Season 2. I mean, that would just be a knockout punch. <laughs> Every single week, it would just be pounding oh. on poor True Detective Season 2. Vince Vaughn would be a pulp oh, by the man. end of it. Oh, man. That's the funniest joke I've heard in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> Two. Uh, this is Season 4, right? Mm-hmm. It is Season, season 4. So, yeah, so we're doing Season 1 versus Season 4, and I'm very excited to revisit Season 1. Yeah. Uh, I love that season of television, and I haven't seen it Um as this much of an adult i'll call it um so we'll see we'll see how what i think of the what i think of it so i'm excited about that and i think there's other stuff but i don't know what it is yet uh you can follow me at lk starks on twitter if you want to know more grace final thoughts about the episode and anything you want to plug 
Yeah, it's really good. I mean, it's it's sad and dark, and I feel like the thing that like you know I didn't fully get from this episode is the like catharsis moment of of sitting through that darkness. So I'm I'm in, I'm excited for next episode. Although I did think Dot's like you know plea about you know getting an ice cream cake for Scotty. That's that's who Dot is. Is so is so sweet. So yeah, excited for yeah. for next week for the penultimate episode. Yeah. Do you think Dot inevitably when she escapes is she going to start a I, Call the Midwife podcast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't. I just want them to be able to have breakfast for dinner again. I feel like that's got to be yeah. the last shot of the season, right? I, uh, I will say, my my wife uh, watched a bunch of called the midwife recently. Not really mm-hmm. like the escape that I think Dot was really painting it as. It's a very depressing show. Yeah, yeah. Childbirth yeah. was not great. Yeah, <laughs> still isn't. Yeah. Uh, all right. I am covering the curse with Doctor Amanda. Movies each week with Ariel. This week we did the Ferrari. Uh, Adam Driver's uh, Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> Ferrari. Yeah. Uh, that's about as good of an accident as most people are doing in the movie. I have to, I have to looking at you, Shailene Woodley. Try, try again, maybe. Um, oh, and then full no. spoiler recaps with uh, with Jess Sterling. Last week we talked uh, Rick and Morty season seven with DM Philly, and then we're talking Julia, which is the HP show about uh, Julia Child. And then one last plug. I'm not a part of it, but I well, I'm a, I'm not going to be playing, but I would like you to go watch. RHAP the Traders game that is coming mm-hmm. up over on the Rob is a podcast network with many lovely uh podcasters and reality TV show contestants who put in Survivor and Big Brother. Um helping put that together. So I'm very excited. So come join us uh, Saturday, January 6th, starting at noon Eastern is when the game shall begin. Um, as Rob is gonna host uh 16 people playing our own version of the trader. So come check it out. I'm very excited for that. I'm on social media at high from grace. Uh, the bad news is I believe uh, Roy Tillman will be indisposed on January 6th. He's busy. A, a holiday yeah. to celebrate, perhaps. Yeah. He's uh, well, a traitor of his own type. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, definitely yeah. check it out. Uh, you may see a familiar face or two not participating, but uh, providing some color commentary along the way for what should be a very fun afternoon of social strategy. Of course, you can follow me at a Mike Bloom type. As Grace mentioned before, there's a lot of TV coming in 2024 between returning shows shows that have not come out for a while like true detective or brand new ones myself grace jess sterling tried our best to rope this uh you know very wild horse that is the year in television talked about some shows that we are really excited about and tried to preview as many of them as possible so if you want a guide as to what 2024 is going to look like in television Feel free to check out that podcast that we already have up. And if you missed it, we also got together and talked about the top 10 TV shows of 2023 as voted on by the listeners of Post Show Recaps. That was a really fun wrap up of the year in television. Uh, So, yes, should be. I think BSG is coming back in a couple of weeks as well as we are putting things back into motion. The wheels are turning once more after a couple of, uh, you know, weeks break of holidays for the new year. Though this podcast has always been going strong each and every week as Winter is truly here to stay. No holidays on the horizon. Things looking as bleak as Dot's future at the end of this episode. But there's always an iron bar we can pry and saw at our metaphoric chains with. And in that case, that bar is this podcast. Uh, So next week, the three of us will be back together to talk about the penultimate episode of Season 5 of Fargo, The Useless Hand. Uh, We shall see if that APB was indeed for Gator, how he'll handle re uh, recontacting munch again after he thought he killed him uh whether the rescue party will come for dot sooner or later and how roy will continue to handle the downward spiral that has happened over the course of the past couple episodes should be really interesting to talk about thank you all as always so much for listening again 
if you are experiencing or if you know someone who is experiencing domestic abuse, do not be afraid to reach out. You can contact any of the resources that I talked about at the top of this podcast. We'll also put them in the show notes as well. Uh, obviously, again, some very real true stuff talking talked about on this quote unquote true story of a show. And so it was uncomfortable material, but I think uh, a scathing reminder of the evils we can encounter in our society today. And I, I want to thank both LT and Grace for always their like fantastic, you know, eloquence and uh, heart when it comes to talking about these very real issues. We shall continue forward next week with the penultimate episode of Fargo season five until next time, everybody take care. Bye-bye.